It's another episode of Movies You Should Love with Lauren and Scott. Welcome to the podcast. He's Lauren. And he's Scott. Let's get into it. All right, well, here we are again. Yes. Yes, we are. (laughs) (laughs) Um, This week, we're doing number 95 of America Film Institute's Top 100 American Films. Which is the last picture show. Yes. Um, so. But, yeah. Uh, before we get into that, uh, you seen any good movies lately? I have. Um, I was uh, revisiting some of my collection this week, and uh, I saw, I rewatched High Noon, which um, I'm not going to really talk about much here because we'll get to it later on in the AFI list, but... Uh, just suffice it to say that it is still probably one of my all-time favorite films of all time. Not just westerns, but just movies in general. It's fantastic. So yeah. you can either wait for us to watch it or go rent it now. Either way, it's it's wonderful. Uh, I've only seen it the once. I saw it. We watched it in film school, and I think I missed it that night. We actually watched it, and I watched it then. I I've never really revisited it, but it is good. Definitely. It is. Well, we will. We will get to it. I don't know what number it is, but it's somewhere here on the list. I think it's in the 20s, maybe, somewhere. So, it'll be a little while. So, um, let's see. I also rewatched the Disney cartoon Robin Hood. Um, that's my favorite. It's my favorite as well. It, it's not my favorite Robin Hood of all time, but it, it ties with, of course, the classic Errol Flynn uh, Robin Hood. They're, they're, they're probably my two favorites. Yeah, like I just recently watched that the uh, the Errol Flynn one, and I was really kind of amazed at how much all of the other Robin Hood movies pulled from that movie. Like that is almost the the quintessential Robin Hood. That's the Robin Hood Men in Tights Robin Hood. That's the Disney Robin Hood. There's a lot of it's it's even. I mean, you can even see where Kevin Costner and and mm-hmm. uh, Ridley Scott and and several others have paid their tribute to it. I mean, it's definitely. Absolutely. It's definitely the bar to which all other Robin Hoods are set. Yeah, um, but but this uh, this Disney Robin Hood that is, yes. Um, I grew up like my mom taped it for me, and like I wore that tape out. You yeah, know? I was going to say I watched it probably hundreds of times as a kid. I can, I, I it's it's one of those movies I can quote every single line yeah, yeah. like half a second before before they say yeah yeah you know and uh, so I'm it's, glad I'm not alone in that. Yeah, yeah it's it's. It's maybe not the best Disney movie ever made, uh, but it certainly um, tops my list of most watched and enjoyed, probably. Yeah, I, yeah. I mean, like, rewatching it with a critic's eye, you can kind of pick apart little details in it. But I, for my money, I, I, it's my favorite. It's my favorite Disney movie uh, ever. I would pretty much tend to agree. Um, then, uh, so anyhow, those were kind of from my collection, and then uh, I branched out a little bit and did some Netflixing and uh, watched um, Rango and The Beaver. Not Rango I, and The Beaver, but those are two separate movies. Rango. Oh, like, and Rango also and the, the movie The Beaver. Um, <laughs> uh, what did, I haven't seen I haven't seen The Beaver, but what did you think about Rango? You know, it's I, I think it's an incredibly fitting follow up to Mouse Hunt. Um, I can see that. <laughs> uh, you know, I think maybe more than anything, that's kind of uh, where Gore Verbinski was coming from with it. It has that completely weird, whacked out sense of humor that he has that takes uh-huh. everything to like this absurdist level. Um, 
It's Would re- you consider that a children's movie? No, not even remotely. That's what I that that, that was my big thing because it's like a Nickelodeon movie, and it was advertised in front of children's movies and on children's television. And as I'm sitting there watching it, in the first five minutes, there's a Hunter S. Thompson cameo. Mm-hmm. No, and, and that's that's the thing. <laughs> that was actually one thing I really liked about it. Um, I, you know, I think that the marketing team really didn't know what to do with it. Yeah. Um, but I think as far as the movie itself, I think it was pretty unapologetic about being exactly what it wanted to be without kowtowing to anybody else. So, yeah. so you know, if you take the movie on its own without any of the marketing materials or anything like that, I, I think it was a very interesting idea. I, 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 I really get the feeling that Gore Verbinski is at a place in his career where he kind of went, you know, this seems kind of fun. I want to try that. It doesn't yeah. even have to be successful or anything it's just going to be a fun project to do and i'm going to do it on my own terms yeah and i really really liked that about this movie i thought there was some really really inventive sorts of things in it and some just really great classic western homages and that kind of thing (laughs) i love the spirit of the west (laughs) yes 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 it's clint eastwood in uh, as played by timothy oliphant yeah in in cartoon yeah, it's clearly Clint Eastwood as uh, as he is in the Good, the Bad, and the Ugly, driving in the golf cart with his Academy Awards sticking out of yeah. it. You're just like, what is going on in this movie? Where have we gone? Yeah, it's 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 a really weird movie. It's maybe I don't know, fifteen twenty minutes too long. I would say. I would, I would agree to that. Um, that said, I can't point to any one part that specifically dragged for me. It was just an overall sort of feeling. There comes a point where you're like, okay, we're ready to wrap this up now. Yes. So it's not that there's any dull parts to the movie or anything. It Mm -hmm. just kind of, it hit a a point where I just kind of went, I get this. Yeah. You know, so that would be my only major concern with it. You know, Mm -hmm. it's it's obviously, I I don't think a kid's movie, you know, I think older kids could enjoy it. I don't think it's for young kids. I think there's quite a lot of really quite there's, terrifying images in it. Th- yeah, th- th- it gets pretty scary and the animals are super realistic for being a cartoon. It's like, it's kind of, it. it well, I mean, while clearly not super real to the fact where you would look at it and go, oh, did they get a real lizard to do that? No, it's, it's, it's like, definitely a more realistic form of animation. Yeah, it draw, it, I think it blurs that line a little too much where some of the ugliness is legitimate ugliness. You and, know, you go, and, oh, and there's no. definitely some serious themes of death and dying yeah. and you know so cre- creatures yeah creatures can die and yeah. um you know in the first what five or ten minutes i mean in the first five or ten minutes you get like serious existential actor dilemma actor director dilemma stuff and you get a um a uh, armadillo squished yeah. in half yeah i mean it's it's pretty seriously weird stuff that you're getting in this movie so yeah. But fun. <laughs> said, it's, it's a great Western. It's like, it is a Western in the tradition of all yeah. the great Westerns, really. Exactly. Um, so I liked it. I liked well, what did it you think about The Beaver? That is actually, I think, next on my Netflix list. Well, I, I think that Mel Gibson, for all of his time in the news, I think he was fantastic in it, and he remains probably the most watchable person on screen ever. Um... I have to, yeah. I think, I think, I think you, you and I have had this conversation before that we are, uh, we are two people who are able to, for the most part, be able to separate a person's personal life and their 
career or their acting career or their film career. Mm-hmm. Um, Mel Gibson has come out, yeah, in the news and might not be the best person on earth. Yeah, he, may, have, he may not be one. Some issues. Yeah, he may not want to be your role model. You know, that might not be what you're but after with him. He, has, he really is still on the top of my list of people that I will watch. If he's in the movie, I'm going to watch it. And, and he is just fantastic. He, I mean, he, he voices the beaver and acts with the beaver on screen. And I know that's the weirdest sentence maybe ever. Remind um, me, and the, the movie's actually about a guy who's having like a he he is breakdown or what's going on. He is basically the most depressed person on the planet. Uh, I'm not quite, but I mean he's he's to the point where he, I don't know, literally in the in the first ten minutes of the movie, he is trying to commit suicide, mm-hmm. and the thing that stops him is this beaver puppet. You know, he's tried all kinds of therapy and medication and stuff, and he's just he's he's done you know his depression has taken over him and then he's able to kind of like channel his feelings through this puppet and use the puppet to communicate with the with the outside world is that right yes and basically the puppet takes over he stops communicating and the puppet the beaver (laughs) as he as it's referred to through the entire movie is his form of communication so like he goes back to the company he runs and the beaver is now in charge of the company. <laughs> and his wife, who he has, who is, of course, the always excellent Jodie Foster, who also yeah. directed, um, is, uh, you know, her relationship begins again with the beaver. <laughs> and his children, who have had major isu- issues um, with him, now have to have him back in their life, but it's him as the beaver. And right. it's, it's a very bizarre film, um, it's dealing with some really, really um, sensitive sorts of subjects. Um, you know, I think depression, um, you know, there's certainly, uh, you know, uh, people in my family who have had history with that. And, um, you know, it's it's a really serious issue. And this movie almost pushes to a really weird place with it. Um, but then, it, I, I, you know, I think that on top of that, I think you you start thinking that this guy really does have some psychosis is of some sort that are really starting to get into him. So I I think it it manages to avoid being offensive to people who are dealing with it, while at the same time providing a very interesting look into that world a little bit. And then it's just a really bizarre sort of story. It it takes mm. um, it takes a couple of twists that I think aren't incredibly surprising, but at the same time, you kind of are maybe thinking it won't go there. So, um, but overall, I I, I liked it a little bit. Um, um, I thought it, you know, it's a, it's a, it's a solid little movie and, and if it had any other actors in it, it probably would not have been nearly as good, but with, I mean, just everyone in is fantastic. Cool. Um, I recently, I literally, like, within the past, uh, 30 minutes just saw the movie Hannah, mm-hmm. um, directed by Joe Wright, and it stars, uh, Kate Blanchett, Eric Bana, and, uh, that girl, she's a young girl, she's just, she was in Atonement, she was in The Lovely Bones, mm-hmm. um, it was okay, it had some really great sequences in it because Joe Wright does this thing that I kind of love, though admittedly as I watched it in this movie I was getting a little tired of it, which is the the single very long take. 
Um, like he, like in Atonement, there's a sequence where uh, James McAvoy comes to the beach, and then there's this one long camera tracking shot that goes around all the troops, and it's really kind of um, breathtaking. And he does that a couple times in this movie as well. And he, he did the same thing in Pride and Prejudice, um, and so. But in this movie, he does it with some, a couple of action sequences. So when you're watching it and you see this very well choreographed very uh, violent action sequence, you're like, that's really kind of cool, because it, it kind of makes you think it really happened. Yet, at the same time, you're watching it going, wow, they had to rehearse this a lot. So it's, it's, it's kind of this weird moment that both makes you appreciate the film, but also makes takes you out of the film just a little bit, as you wonder how he pulled it off. Um, all that said, the movie itself, um, I might have liked it more if I hadn't just read The Hunger Games. Hmm. Um, it's like the, the first 30 minutes reminded me a lot of the hunger games. Um, it's about this girl who's, uh, basically brought up. I'm not sure where is out in the middle of the snow, <laughs> wherever that is. <laughs> um, and she's brought up by this ex CIA guy. She, he trains her and then she gets kind of abducted, mm-hmm. um, by the CIA. Isn't, and then, isn't the snow something kind of like a nuclear winter kind of concept? Isn't that? No, not at all. Okay. I haven't actually read them, but that was kind of what I... Oh, well, in the in the Hunger Games, you're talking about? Yes. Oh, in the Hunger Games, yeah. It's a, it's a future situation. Uh, so, I, sorry, I went back to Hannah. Oh. <laughs> uh, uh, in the Hunger Games, yeah, it's a, it's, it's a futuristic story, oh. and there is definitely um, signs of a nuclear fallout. Although, I will say, because um, like the, the land is divided into different districts, you know, the main character comes from a place where there is greenery, there is food to be hunted, and, and she's okay. Um, but in Hannah, it's like she lives out somewhere. I wanted, to, I felt like it was Russia or Germany, but it, that wasn't it. It's somewhere in Europe, though. They never, I don't feel like they ever really said it. Anyway, she ends up getting hunted down by Kate Blanchett and these CIA people. And my biggest problem with the movie, honestly, was that I never really understood what the girl was doing. Hmm. Like, I got the sense that she was maybe trying to find Kate Blanchett and maybe kill her. And that's kind of how it started off. But then as the movie unwinds very quickly, it feels like she's just kind of wandering around Europe, hitchhiking with people, doing things, and waiting for the end of the movie almost. You're like, I don't understand. I, I, I didn't feel like I, I understood it. Maybe I missed part of the story because admittedly I was multitasking a little bit. Um, so there might have been a crucial line of dialogue that I missed. Um but overall, it was eh, it was okay, and the the ending for me was a little lackluster um, because it, it felt like it just ended. It felt like there should have been an additional ten minutes or five, at least five minutes. It just kind of goes, oh, and that's the end. You know, okay, um, and I, I think I told you this a second ago, but Joe Wright is a director who seems to be making movies that. I don't like, but I can't ignore. <laughs> right. he, uh, like Atonement, I am not a fan of. Yet, it's a remarkable movie. It's like I have to admit that it's a fantastically well done movie that I personally loathe, um, due largely just to the characters and their actions, and then also um, the twist that comes in the final fifteen minutes of the movie. I just, as a storytelling device, I hate it. Um, so anyway, yeah, but that, there was that. The other movie that I saw recently, I saw it a couple nights ago that I actually really, really liked, is this movie called Happy Thank You More Please. Um, one word, happy, thank you, more please. Um, it's written and directed and stars uh, Josh Radner, who's the main guy from uh, How I Met Your Mother, the, the young guy who's okay. about to meet his 
the kid's mother. Um, it start, it's it's him, but it's it's a it's a very independent movie, and it's actually very similar in some respects to the movie we're going to talk about today. Um, in that it's about a group of New Yorkers, and so you get these little snippets of these characters' stories. Um, but each of these stories are really just, it's a very, it's just a lovely little movie. It's like, it is R-rated, so there, there's some rough language in it for those, for people who are kind of turned off by that. But um, the, the conclusion to, I would say, like 80% of the stories that are presented is just nice. It's just like, oh, that's great. That's good for them. Oh, good. You know, uh, so many times, especially in independent movies, it's like, people like to explore the existential minutia of depression or, you know, whatever. It's like, things like this is how it really is. You know, it doesn't get a Hollywood ending. Um, and the thing is like this movie, it's like, it seems to be kind of almost saying that, you know, life is good. You know, it, it feels bad and you can go through rough times, but ultimately good things are there. If you're willing to look for it or find it or step out of your comfort zone. And when that happens, when you find yourself, uh, in a good place, be willing to say thank you. More, please. <laughs> and uh, it ends really well, and I just, I really liked it. It's just a charming little movie that doesn't have a lot of action. It's just, you know, it's people talking. It's a it's a very independent movie, but it was, it's, it's a lot, I liked it. I liked it a lot. It had some really funny parts. It had some really touching parts, and it ends very, very happily, and I quite liked it. All right. Well, that's a bunch of new movies that uh, out mm-hmm. on DVD. Well, some of them are older movies, but they're all on DVD. Yes, they point. are. So uh, Netflix them up if you got it, or whatever your particular uh, yes thing is. Thing is, yes. Yeah, like apparently Blockbuster's teaming up with somebody. Did you hear about that? Yeah, isn't it? It's is it Direct or Dish or somebody like that? Yeah, they're trying to kind of recreate their web presence to compete with Netflix. So if, if that's who you've got instead of the Netflix, go for it. <laughs> but uh, any and all of these interesting movies, none of them I think that we have talked about are uh, negative reviews. Uh, no. All of them interesting in their own right. So uh, check them out. Mm-hmm. Definitely. So let's see. In other movie news, and I think we kind of have to deal with this just in general. <laughs> we have to deal with this. <laughs> um, well, I, I, I think it would be, we would be remiss not to touch on this. Yeah. Um, is that there is, of course, the new Star Wars uh, editions, the, the Blu-ray editions coming out here soon. Yeah, like I think in the next two or three days. So by the time you guys hear this, the, the Blu-rays will have been out and you might have them in your libraries yes. or you might have already burnt them or whatever it is you do with the new Star Wars release. Yes, but definitely in time for holiday 2011. Yes. Um, and, uh, of course, the big controversy is that George <laughs> Lucas, once again, is tinkering with his Star Wars films. Yes. Um, everybody is upset. Again. <laughs> and, uh... I, what, 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 what is... I mean, I, I know you are not a big, big Star Wars person. Um, I, I am. I mean, I, when, I, when I mentioned growing up with Robin Hood, um, I also grew up with Star Wars and Superman. Those were kind of my... Uh, holy trinity of movies as a child. And so I'm very close to these movies. Um, but I know you're not. So what is your take on this? Sure. I mean, uh, don't get me wrong. I, I love Star Wars um, uh, as much as the next person. Um, well, I mean, not quite as much as the next person. But, but I, I certainly <laughs> have a very... I, I didn't have the growing up with them experience, though. Yeah. Um, I saw them much later on um, 
you know, I was a teenager before I ended up seeing them. So I didn't quite have that same childhood connection to Star Wars. Um, but that said, I, I love the universe. There's been, um, you know, I, definitely the original films are, um, you know, especially Empire. Uh, it, they're, they're just uh, some fantastic pieces of um, filmmaking, you know, both as history and as just wonderful movies to watch. Um, you know, they have their issues, but they also opened up so much of what movies are today. And they also, I mean, they really are just wonderful, wonderful movies. Um, so I have, I have very little negative to say about them. Um, uh, other than that, you know, when George Lucas doesn't direct, they're better. Um, <laughs> uh, but, uh, you know, coming into the, the new prequel trilogy, um, you know, again, I enjoyed it for what it was, but it kind of felt completely unnecessary to me because we knew the ending and, you know, we had already had a starting point, And so just kind of moving that starting point back didn't, I don't know, didn't do a lot for me. But coming into these new DVDs, or these new Blu-rays, I should say, um, with the new changes. Now, the first set of changes that they did... Yeah, back in 97. Back in 97. Yeah. Uh, I have two major issues with the original set of changes that they did. Um, The first is that I don't know that in 97 the technology was there to really do it right. Um, and so, for the most part, most of the changes don't bother me that much from, from the original 97, um, changes, you know, cleaning up dust lines underneath speeders and that kind of, you know, whatever. I can, I can deal with some of that kind of thing. Um, the stuff that does bother me from it, uh, you know, obviously you can get into the who shot first debate. Greedo. Exactly. And, um, and, and secondly, the, the one that just, I, I cannot fathom that ever made it out of, um, <laughs> that, that ever made its way to, to light, given how much George Lucas guards everything, is Han Solo stepping on Jabba's tail. Yeah. I've, I've just never understood how that even saw the light of day. It's, it's barely a scene that you need. Um, it, it is. A, it, there, it, I do like the scene. The way it's written, I like the scene. But I think it should have stayed as a deleted scene. Like, look, this is what Java could have looked like. This exactly. Standing here. Yeah, it, it has some interesting stuff in it, but it isn't essential to what's going on. Yeah. Um, and, uh, oh, anyhow, that's the original trilogy. And so there's there's my initial issues. And, and to me, those are pretty major issues. Um, yeah. Is it enough for me not to watch the new trilogy? No. You know, I mean, I think it's... You can argue over who... If, if it's the filmmaker's right to go back and change things. I mean, certainly we saw Blade Runner here recently in, in one of our couple of previous podcasts. And, uh, you know, our preferred edition is the the director's final cut here that has come out in just the last couple of years. Where you know Ridley Scott went back and reshot things and re-edited and did new visual effects in some places, and it is just a significantly better movie mm-hmm. um, for it all. And uh, you know there there may be some purists out there who disagree, but uh, you know I would say it is. I don't feel that the changes in the Star Wars 
trilogy made it a significantly better movie from its original version. Yeah. And that's and that's kind of where I come down on it. The new changes, um, I feel, are pretty insignificant. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Honestly, at, at this point, I feel like uh, people are now grousing because they're in the habit of grousing about George Lucas. Exactly. You know, you know a, a, a the blink- Ewoks blink I was going to say, a blinking Ewok doesn't really change a single thing about the film to me. No. Um, uh, the biggest change I think people are really upset about is the fact that Darth Vader now yells no when he picks up the Emperor and throws him into the Death Star. Right, Spoiler yeah, they, alert. They, they've added a little bit more uh, of that. And, and I think the real reason people are upset about that is because of the previous no from... From prequels. episode three, yeah. yes. You know, if if that no didn't exist, I think these no's would not be a problem. Yeah, because honestly, watching this, like I watched the scene they they posted it online, and it works. It's it's not a bad thing, and I actually understand somebody saying no in mm-hmm. that moment. So it's like this really isn't a bad change. Mm-hmm. Um, that, that said, did it need it? I don't think it really did. No, it, it worked either either way. So yeah. Um, and as for me coming at this as a fan, having watched these since 1986, I think was the first time I really saw Return of the Jedi. Um, there was a, I have been on board with Lucas really from the beginning. I've kind of been in that silent minority who doesn't really have a problem with Jar Jar Binks. I really don't have a problem with most of these movies because, um, I kind of understand that George Lucas is making these movies for 10 year olds. Mm-hmm. You know, the, the third movie is PG 13. It does have some f- fairly frightening imagery, but ultimately he's making these movies for the preteen to teen age group. And so there comes a point where as a 30 year old, I kind of have to look at it through that and not mm-hmm. just as this movie that I can still, you know, hold up to and try to well, emulate the, or whatever. But. I was going to say, going back to like the, the Disney cartoon Robin hood, you know, watching it now it's, it's, has plenty of holes I can poke in it. Um, yeah. But the thing is, is that I don't really want to because I love so much about it. Yeah. And I think that's kind of how a lot of people feel about Star Wars at this mm-hmm. point. Um, and, and I'm sure that's where a lot of the backlash is coming from is, you know, if Disney went back and completely changed Robin Hood or, you know, yeah. no, or, I, I, whatever. I, you know, you can see that same thing kind of going, Oh no. Oh yeah. I, I understand that. Like if, you know, then if they said, "Oh, by the way, now we've changed it so that when Robin shoots this arrow, it actually, you know, we replace the arrow with this new CG arrow, so we could do this cool effect," mm-hmm. they'd be like, "Really? Why would you? Really? I mean, I, I totally understand why people, you know, our age and older are frustrated by these mm-hmm. constant changes. But honestly, people are—I feel like people are holding Star Wars to this really high." on this high bar that they're like, no, nobody should be allowed to change this movie, even though this is not a new thing. J.R. Tolkien did it. Mm-hmm. Um, Orson Scott Card did it. People have been doing it for, for years and for centuries that people, some artists will re- would revisit paintings, mm-hmm. you know, and never finish, but they, the artist would die. And so that's the finished painting we get. You know, I kind of, there's a certain part of me who understands that um, George Lucas, when he sat down and wrote A New Hope, he didn't actually completely understand who Anakin Skywalker was going to be. Sure. And even though he knew that, oh, yes, you know, he falls into this lava pit or blah, 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 there's clearly, once he flushed out the universe, he went, oh, hold on, I have to change this little part to make this part make sense now. Unfortunately, it's been 30 years, so now everybody knows every single line of Star Wars. 
But is it better for him to cut that scene or add that creature or completely change, you know, this new universe that he really likes that he's created? And so part of it goes, hey, you know what, people, you can still enjoy them. They have released, you know, the last DVD release was a theatrical, had the theatrical release on it. So it's not like Lucas is denying people um, the original theatrical releases Mm -hmm. that they love so much. Um, but I kind of go, you know what? He's making these movies for a new audience now. You know, now you're 30. You have children. Um, you, you own you like can, 20 different copies of it. Yeah, you can show them which one you want. And, or, you know, your kids will go spend the night at someone's house and they'll watch Star Wars. And they'll love this new Star Wars movie they just saw. And it's and you can kind of laugh at the fact that they're calling it the new Star Wars movie. And it's, I don't know, it's its own thing. I think, I think, uh, I think the nerd culture needs to kind of calm down and just kind of move on and Maybe we should all kind of silently or loudly demand that George Lucas move on in general and make new movies, well, Star Wars or not. And I was going to say, I think that's where my, my... In general, I don't have a problem with... I mean, a filmmaker, a writer, a artist, it's their work. They can keep tinkering with it if they want to. I mean, that's their prerogative. Um, you know, it, it's, are his changes always my favorite to the movies? No. But it's, it's, you know, it's not the end of the world either. And they're still, they're still fantastic movies whether a giant slug's tail gets stepped on or not. You know, I mean, at the end of the day, that's what happens. And, and so it's okay. Um, yeah, so honestly, the, the, it's it's some of those changes I think are a little weird. Like, yeah, him d- deciding to make the Ewoks blink to me is a little weird. I'm like, that seems a little OCD now. Yeah, where and, I do understand the changes that he's made to try to bridge the gap between the original trilogy and the new mm-hmm. trilogy, like introducing aliens into the original trilogy that weren't there, but he created for the the new prequels, and it makes sense for them to be there now. Like, I understand a little bit of that bleeding, so it, it, it's less... It's less jarring. Less the, jarring. The, the 30 years difference is not... As a quite, Yeah. Um, but, you know, and so I think that's my ultimate thing, though, is is at this point, you know, I think the movies are out there, and, and my big thing is that I think George Lucas is a really, really creative guy. I don't think he's the best director in the world. Um, I think he's a fantastic visionary. I think he's amazing with concepts and ideas. Oh, absolutely. I think think his technical prowess is second to none. I mean, this guy has single-handedly, you know, put together um, companies and ideas and... You know, I mean, not to not to negate what all of the engineers and everybody who works for him, but he, right. he put he put this vision in place for ILM and for, I mean, he 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 single handedly changed the face of cinema today. Yeah, and you could oh yeah, between ILM and uh, with him cutting loose Pixar, mm-hmm. you know, you kind of go, we have a lot to thank him for. Yeah. Um, you know, visual effects would not exist today if it weren't for. I mean, you know, uh, they. It's, there's no. so many movies that would not exist without him. No, you're you know? absolutely I mean, Jurassic right. Parks would not exist. Indiana Jones movies would not exist. Um, you know, I mean, he, he's a genius. You can, and, yeah, you could, yeah. And this is my really big issue with the changes, is I would love to see, rather than, oh, I think Ewok should blink, I would love to see the next not the actual next Indiana Jones, but like whatever his next idea is that turns into what Indiana Jones became or what Star Wars became yeah. or what ILM became. You know, if it's a technical thing, that, that would be fantastic. Or, or whatever it is, that's what I want to see him put his energy mm-hmm. into. Mm-hmm. And, and, 
and I wish he wasn't always in the news about Star Wars changes. <laughs> yeah, I am. I am intrigued by this new movie. He did direct it, but it's his story and it's been his baby. Have you heard about Red Tails? Yes, I am. I am intrigued by it. It. I, it's. It, uh, I've heard some mixed reviews of it already. Some people had read the script and they were like, "Eh, it's okay." Um, but I, I, I do think I'm going to have to go see it because this is something that he's been working on for like. 20 years he's talked about wanting to make this movie and it's finally being made and being released this year. Mm-hmm. So, so I, I hope there's more of that. I'd love to see, I'd love to see George Lucas, the producer a lot more, I think than really anything else, because like you said, um, you said a little, you said a little tongue in cheek, but I think there's some real truth to the fact that my favorite star Wars movies are the ones he didn't write and direct. But he still had a huge part in their creation, in their story. When you step back, the Star Wars story is really amazing and fascinating and multi—you know, uh, multi-layered. It's just in the execution of some of it that you go, "Okay, this is kind of a children's movie or whatever." Exactly. So there's our surprisingly long take on. Yes, <laughs> I was. I was not expecting this short line in our little outline here to, uh, to become a huge thing. <laughs> Um, well, let's briefly touch on these in, in, insignificant changes so, 20 minutes later. Well, there you go. So apparently we all have opinions on that. And, <laughs> and I bet we've uh, probably ticked off uh, most of you listening somehow. Email us. See us in yeah. our message. Let yeah. us know what you think. It, this could be our highest rated podcast ever, just from people yelling at us. It'll be wonderful. I like it. Uh, um, <laughs> so let's actually move on to <laughs> the reason we're here. Um, and that is uh, The Last Picture Show, number 95 on AFI's Top 100 American Films list. Yes. Um, <laughs> it was released in 1971, and I have to laugh because this is what my little Netflix envelope described the movie as. There's not much to do in the windswept Texas hamlet of Anarine, where the town's only cinema is about to close forever. So high schoolers Sonny and Dwayne lust after incorrigible flirt J.C. Farrell while trying to chart their uncertain futures. When Dwayne heads for Korea after joining the service and JC gets shipped off to college, Sonny is left behind in a veritable ghost town. <laughs> that is the last two minutes of the movie. <laughs> That's amazing. <laughs> I was like, thanks for spoiling the entire movie, Netflix envelope. <laughs> I literally thought that was going to be where the movie started. Uh-huh. You know, like, oh, poor Sonny, this sounds interesting. No. That's the conclusion of the movie, Dwayne going to Korea and JC getting shipped off to college. <laughs> exactly. Yeah, it's, uh, well, uh, you know, right off the bat, um, I think we have to talk a little bit about where this movie came from. Uh, it's directed by Peter Bogdanovich, mm-hmm. and uh, as you may or may not know, um, he was kind of uh, mentored by uh, Orson Welles. Um, I did not that, know that. That is kind of the... Um, that was kind of his mentor into filmmaking. Um, and so I think it's very interesting realizing that that is kind of the pedigree of where this movie comes from. Um, you know, Orson Welles is very much credited with uh, kind of changing the landscape of, of what cinema did, uh, specifically with Citizen Kane. You know, I mean, it was it was groundbreaking and... and and Citizen Kane, that's on this list, right? Yes, that's, it in is. There, that's in there somewhere, I'm sure. Like, I don't even know where that could be. That's that's there somewhere. Though. Yeah, somewhere on the list. Um, and so, you know, uh, 
I would argue that this is a movie that also did that exact same thing in a completely different way. Um, but I, you know, I would say that this is basically this movie is the first of the modern independent films, uh, or at least the independent dramas is maybe the best way I could say it. Do you know if this movie was an independent film um, at the time? It, it fairly much was. I mean, um, it, you know, it's the kind of movie where uh, Peter Bogdanovich, um, you know, co-wrote, he directed, he mm-hmm. he co-produced, he was the one who edited it, although he's not credited with that because um, of Guild, uh, you know, uh, uh, union stipulations and that kind of thing. I right. mean, it was, you know, it was very much kind of a one-person show. I mean, it was a union picture, it was, you know, all of that kind of stuff, and, it, uh, you know, I believe it did have some studio stuff going on with it, but yeah, it was very much independent, um, you know, in the sense of, of like, you know, some of American zoetrope stuff was pretty independent and some of that kind of thing, even though, you know, it technically it was still made in the studio by the studio. Yeah. You know, but I mean, this was definitely the, the forerunner of independent film, um, as we know it today. I mean, you know, this is, you know, when you consider how big the studio system was, you know, in in the seventies and you know late sixties, early seventies, going into this, um, yeah, this is definitely. I, I think you can definitely consider it independent film. Okay, because yeah, I think you, yeah, I think you hit the nail on the head. Like watching this movie, it's like you see every independent film that has come since. Some you know in this movie, you have all of the all of the characters, you have all of the themes that independent films are still exploring and, mm-hmm. you know. I mean, just to kind of catalog off the top of my head here, we don't have this in our notes or anything, but we have um, characters with mental issues. Yeah, um, it's a coming-of-age story. It's a coming-of-age story. There is um, uh, dealing with sexual identity. Mm-hmm. There is um, angsty teenagers. Mm-hmm. There are angsty adults. <laughs> there, yeah, is, there is a broken relationships between parents and adults and and parents and children. Sorry, parents and children. That's what yes, I mean. uh, 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 broken relationships between adults. There is adultery. There is um, commentary on the changing times and yes. <laughs> um, there is commentary on small town life. There is commentary on um, war and that sort of thing. Mm-hmm. Um, there's commentary on love. I mean, it's, it's, it's literally, I mean, there's... If you like independent movies, there's something in this for you. Yeah, discussion (laughs) of abortion and suicide and, you know, all of these wonderful things. I mean, it's, it's all in here. It's all crammed into the two hours of this movie. Um, and, uh, that is maybe both its biggest strength and weakness, kind of all at the same time, I would say. Yeah. Um... You know, I, I think because it sets this tone, um, it doesn't necessarily have much time to really tell a story, which is also kind of an independent film sort of thing. It's it's less of a story and more of just a series of vignettes that kind of give you a, a glimpse into the lives of these people. Yeah, um, yeah, and that's um, you know, and that and that's kind of a shifted way to look at at, at storytelling. I think that this movie does as well. Yeah, like there's there's two kind of styles of storytelling that I've been able to identify and there's like the this happened, therefore this happened, but then that happened, 
therefore this happened. You have that kind of thing. And then you have the, oh, and then this happened. And then this happened. Oh, and then this over here also happened. And, the, you know, and that, this feels like the second one, the, the latter of those two, where it doesn't necessarily have a real strong um, overarching story necessarily, mm-hmm. but you kind of get a glimpse into this little town on the eve of these uh, kids' graduation from high school and get to kind of see what it was like. And then, and that's really kind of it. It's like, you know, at that same time, this kid was with her and he was over here doing this and that was happening. And then after that, uh, the, they went to Mexico and then, Oh, and then the cinema closed. And then, um, and that was kind of our life in those days. Mm -hmm. And that's kind of what the movie leaves you with. Yeah. You know, I, I would definitely say it's, um, you know, I, I have a feeling that this movie, when it came out, probably resonated pretty well with people. Because, um, you know, I think in the middle of the 70s, there was, there was a lot of, uh, you know, just as there probably is now, there was a lot of angst and a lot of, um, you know, people wanting to, to focus on the reality of things, um, which, is, which is kind of a big shift that was going on in, in cinema at that time. Anyhow, I mean, you know, you were moving away from giant epic films like Cleopatra, which were all, you know, pageantry and... And you know, but were pretty huge box office failures, and you were starting to get you know stuff coming in, you know, more like The Godfather and and, right. and things like that that were you know this much darker, more realistic kind of thing. And um, um, you know, I feel that this movie kind of fits right in with all of that change, and and I can see it definitely being an outlet and and a unique outlet in that time where people kind of could go and see it and and have a new way to deal with some of their angst and some of their um, feelings that they were having or things that they were thinking. Um, you know, it, it would definitely be, you know, maybe maybe in the way that um, Valley of the Dolls <laughs> changed stuff in the 60s. Right. You know, I, I can see this kind of doing that same thing in the 70s. Um, yeah. You know, maybe it's a bit dated and uh, doesn't do everything as we would do it today, but it still kind of has some of that impact to it, I think. Yet, at the same time, I feel like there's a lot of stuff in here that's exactly the way we would do it today. Well, I know? would agree with that, too. As far as, especially in the independent film scene, it's like, watching it, it's like, there's really nothing here that you're not seeing, at least style-wise. I'm not saying content or quality-wise, but there's been a lot of movies that have been made out of this same pattern, even so much as... Um, the movie that I kind of talked about earlier, Happy, Thank You, More, Please. Um, the only difference for me between those two movies is that Happy, Thank You, More, Please had a very specific, each character had a very specific story that they were going through. Each character was introduced as having this problem, and, and the story was how each of these couples or people confronted those situations, and the movie ended with all of them resolving their problem. Where with this, it was really it's really just a a section, a, a time in these kids' life, mm-hmm. or these people's life. And so there's not necessarily a conflict uh, conflict resolution with a lot of these people. Right. I, you know, I think this is much more one of those movies that kind of raises, you know, touching on, on what you're saying, kind of with, with two types of movies. You know, I think there's also two types of movies in that there's movies that, wrap everything up for you at the end and kind of give you everything with a little bow on top or most mm-hmm. everything that way. And then there's kind of the movie that leaves you with 
questions. Um, and, and I think this is kind of more that sort of a movie. It's, you know, I think, I think the intent, um, you know, this is my take on it. I'm, I'm sure everyone else can have their own thing. Um, but my take on, on what this movie kind of is about is, um, you know, it, it is kind of a meditation on that small town life. And more importantly, um, less that than what you do when you are trapped in a situation. Yeah. Um, you know, there's several moments during the movie um, <coughs> where um, Sonny can potentially escape from what's going on. Um, you know, he has support systems and he has, um, you know, people who are interested in him. And he, he, he always ends up choosing the way that sucks him back into the system that he knows already. Um, you know, he, he ends up having an affair with this woman and rather than sticking with someone who's actually accepting him for who he is and actually has a, a weirdly good working relationship with, you know, he ends up kind of dumping her for this other girl who's completely bad for him. Um, Only to be sucked back into it in the end. Right. And, you know, it, it, that kind of cycle happens several times throughout this movie. Uh, not even just to his character. I mean, I think that's kind of a general theme of what's going on here. People just keep getting kind of sucked back into it and can't really escape. And then uh, it comes down to kind of a choice at the end for everyone. Um, yeah. Something is clicking very loudly. Sorry. <laughs> um, but... Uh, yeah, I don't know. It's um, on on top of all of that, you know. It just kind of leaves you with this this feeling of of being trapped in 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 this place where everything is shutting down and you can't really escape. I mean, I think that's kind of the symbolism of the theater shutting down at the end. Is oh, absolutely, and absolutely, and the this, I think this that symbolism also go, goes on to the the end of one part of your life mm-hmm. where they, you know, they, they graduate from high school, the cinema closes. And so it's like that magic is gone. All you're left is with this gritty reality realist, of yeah, reality of like, Oh, this is my life. Mm-hmm. It's not like I dreamed it would be. It's, it's just the way it is. <laughs> right. Um, so for me looking at this movie, I can kind of respect it. And there are definitely things style wise that I like about it. Um, you talked about the two different kinds of movies, the ones that tie things up in a bow and things that kind of leave it open-ended. I like the third movie that mm-hmm. you didn't mention, which is the one that combines those two. Sure. <laughs> when you look at the movies like The Graduate, you look at movies um, like that where it's like, oh, okay, this is the end. Or is it? <laughs> you know, but mm-hmm. there's still so much more to these two people's story. I know, and I don't know, I don't get to find out what that is. I wonder. I like movies that kind of leave you with that, where... This movie, and interestingly, kind of similar to my kind of negative review of Hannah, leaves you with just this kind of abrupt ending of, okay, so that existed. That's interesting. Um, so I can respect it as an independent mo- as a movie that kind of spawned the independent movies, and as a movie that does explore some really interesting stories. However, as a movie viewer, as a person who just likes a good movie. Um, the only thing that I was really consistently drawn to or entertained by was Jeff Bridges and Civil Shepherd. It was their first movie. It was also Randy Quaid's first movie, I believe. Um, and Cloris Leachman was fantastic as the uh, the older woman that uh, 
Sonny has an affair with, and um, Ellen Burstein was in here too, the mm-hmm. woman from Requiem for a Dream. It was so interesting seeing so everybody so so young, <laughs> um, but uh, I didn't partic- I didn't really enjoy watching this movie. It was a little too meandering, where I felt like a lot of this stuff might have been more interesting as far as a film goes if we had stuck with one of the characters, like if we told Sonny's story. This is you know, and we really focus on him, and it doesn't have to have like a you know a big arc. It doesn't have to have like. The, the conflict arises and this is how he resolves it but I felt like we were getting too many small glimpses into a bigger story that existed off camera mm-hmm. it's like I felt like all of these characters were really interesting I just wasn't getting enough of any of their story mm-hmm. um, I, I wanted more of Sonny I wanted to understand him a little bit better I wanted to understand um, Jeff Bridges a lot more and Sybil Shepard's character JC especially I felt like there was a lot of off-camera motivation that we had to supply that I would have loved to have seen. I would have loved to have seen more scenes with her and her friends, her and her mom, so that we could understand how this girl goes from being um, kind of a pr- being from a prude to being like this swinging girl who's you know trying to hook up with these different guys so that she could become a so she could maybe find the right guy, and once she hooks up with the right guy, then they can get married or whatever her motivation kind of was in that a lot of it had to be supplied by us maybe reading the maybe it was us reading the subtext but i felt like there was just a much bigger story that each of these characters belonged to that we just weren't getting Mm -hmm. i think um an interesting thing for me kind of going into it um you know doing reviews like this you kind of go into a movie knowing that you have to do a review of it at the end and so it kind of changes the way you watch it a little bit. Yeah. Um, and so I was kind of sitting throughout the whole movie as I was watching it, trying to pull it apart maybe more than I should have been. Um, and so I think it kind of changed the viewing experience for me a little bit. Um, I can see that. Um, you know, and, and I think that's... So I kind of went in between kind of enjoying it and then like overthinking it um, <laughs> so um, I don't know it's 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 definitely not one of my top movies um, yeah, I, I I think I can appreciate it and you know and when I do think about the world of independent film I can you know uh, th- there's some great movies in it I can't think of anything you know hugely right off the bat that I would just say well I'd throw that over this one necessarily, you know, at least in that independent drama sort of world. I'm, I'm sure there is if I spent a little more time on it, but at the same time, I mean, this is kind of the first one and, and you kind of have to give some credit for that. Um, you know, it, it did things before other films did it and it, it, you watch it and it's, it's a really, really well done movie. Um, so it did it as well as any other movie that you can think of that did this stuff. And so, um, you know, I can definitely see how it is on this list. I don't know if it's a movie that I really liked that much, though. I guess is kind of the end of end of it for me. It was it was okay, but I I, I think if maybe I had been able to go in watching it a little bit differently, I, I either would have liked it a lot more or I would have liked it a lot less, and I'm not sure which one. <laughs> <laughs> um, 
I think I, I agree. I mean, if we're, if we're going to the uh, our, our verdict section, I would say that uh, you're not missing much. Uh, you know, if you haven't seen it, it's not necessarily a movie. I would say, oh, you have to go see this. Mm-hmm. Um, it's interesting to see Jeff Bridges so young. Um, because like it, it's really he's really really good in this movie, and, well, and so it, and so many of the people in this are, and I think that's a pretty amazing thing. I mean, you know, I mean, this is a time when, um, I mean, you know, people uh, they're all so young, and and um, it's just it's amazing how good they are at that age still. Yeah. Oh yeah, absolutely. Um, and so for that, I, I mean, I do have to, I do respect it. Again, I do, there are things about it that I go, you know, well done. You know, these performances, the, the cast, the, some of those decisions. There are some definitely some very brave things that they kind of do with this that um, I don't think a studio today would let you do, mm-hmm. you know. Um, but ultimately, like, if you're interested in some of those actors' careers or if you are interested in independent films and you like independent films, then this is a style you'll probably appreciate and enjoy. Um, that being said, it's not a movie I would say you have to go see. It's just like, it exists, it's there, and if you want to check it out, do, and it's okay. Yeah, and you know, on top of that, I would also say this was a hugely, hugely influential film in the 70s. I mean, this was, this was, um, this, I mean, this was one of the movies... Um, that that really changed the the landscape of cinema. I mean, it you don't really think of it that way, but it really did. Um, there's a, a wonderful book um, that uh, you know I can't vouch for the accuracy of everything in it, but it's called uh, Easy Riders Raging Bulls. Oh yeah, um, and which is basically kind of a history of cinema uh, through the you know of the 70s, basically, and how it changed. Um, it changed the landscape of what it is. And, and there's some significant time spent in it discussing this movie. And, uh, you know, if you're really, really interested in, in the history of film, if you're interested in, um, specifically the, that period, um, you know, when, when the studio systems really did get shaken up and when, um, uh, you know, filmmakers, Directors and were able to come into their own right as the creative control of a project rather than the studio controlling a project. Um, you know, this is this is a fantastic piece of that, um, and it's worth a watch from a historical perspective as well. Um, if you're just looking for a, eh, it's you know Tuesday night and I want to watch a fun movie, this is not the movie for you. Um, but there are definitely significant reasons to watch this if you are interested so that would be my addendum to what scott said <laughs> yeah and uh i think that's kind of it i think it's interesting that our next movie next week's movie is uh pulp fiction which um may <laughs> it might be the movie like between uh last picture show and then pulp fiction that is like the that is independent filmmaking today <laughs> I mean, that's that, that is movie everything that, basically yeah the movie that revolutionized independent filmmaking again exactly so um yeah we'll definitely be covering that next time you've been listening to the movies you should love podcast join in the conversation at movies you should love.com 